this past week, as you might expect, I've been thinking a lot about soil and sowers and seed, and it's because of our gospel lesson. I really don't know much about soil, but I do know this, that Cincinnati has clay type of soil. It's pretty firm and hard and can be hard to dig around in. And I also know that the soil where I grew up was rather a sandy soil because it was on the southern uh, shoreline of Lake Michigan. We lived a mile from Lake Michigan. I have to say, I'm not a gardener, so I haven't thought about soil a lot, maybe like the Adams, think about that probably. But anyway, I haven't thought about that a lot. But I will say Steve and I have learned to adequately maintain the landscaping around our house. But I would really not call us gardeners at all. Growing up, my parents did have a garden in the side yard at our house. And they grew lots of things, lots of veggies. They had corn and beans and tomatoes and such. And I really didn't do much in that garden except kind of eat the produce that was on our table. But as you might expect, because I was a member of the family, I was sent out periodically to weed the garden. I was also sent out to pick beans when that crop came in or maybe grab a tomato or two or a cucumber for that evening's salad. But preparing the ground and planting the garden was really my father's domain. I can still see him using his orange rototiller and turning over the soil in the garden each spring, preparing it for the planting of the seeds for that year's crop. And I will never forget how in the late 1960s, he drove his truck to the beach with lots of bushel baskets in the back where he filled those bushel baskets with de dead alewives, a fish which had washed up on the shore of Lake Michigan in great amounts due to a population explosion because there were no natural predators. And then he brought those baskets home filled with the dead fish and tilled them into the garden. I'm not sure the neighbors were very pleased with the way he decided to fertilize his garden that year. There was a stench. But it also produced a rather healthy crop of vegetables uh, for our family's table. Well, in today's lesson, we hear about a sower who is sowing seeds and the soil he sows it on. And whenever I hear this lesson, even though the parable is talking about much more than this one thing, my mind immediately goes to the soil. And I start to think, uh, and I start to wonder, what type of soil am I? What type of soil are we? What type of soil are others? Maybe even sometimes kind of judging myself, looking at myself. And I think it's rather natural to uh, focus on the worthiness of the soil because it's mentioned in the parable. Well, a few years ago, <clears throat> I took an online course based on a book called Breathing Underwater. And in that book, the author reflected on the parable in one of its sessions on this course. And the course helped me look at the parable in the new way. The course highlighted that the four types of ground described in this parable as being descriptive of different times in our lives and the lives of others. 
the Course emphasized that no one is just ever uh, one type of ground forever. And I thought that was wise because often I think we judge ourselves and we think this is what we are. So all four, all four types of ground could be aspects of our lives at one time or another. And the author was encouraging to pay attention uh, to that and maybe think about that. Because all four types of ground need attention. It could be that there needed to be softening of the land or plowing to a new depth or weeding or watering or fertilizing. They all need attention. And this reminds me that <clears throat> this is why gardeners attend to preparing the soil year after year. They have to keep it, um, uh, keep it filled with good things so it can do what it's supposed to do, which is produce some sort of fruit. Well, this parable, I believe, helps us reflect on the soil of our lives. So I think it's true, as the parable suggests, sometimes we're just rushing around trying to complete all the tasks on our large to-do list, and there's no room or time or energy or for anything else. So maybe nothing is growing or flowering when it comes to our faith. Maybe the seeds of opportunity are lost or snatched away in the busyness. And when this happens, I think we're invited to kind of slow down a bit and encounter God in small ways each day. Just doing that can help us refocus and, and ground ourselves a little bit more. I know on my busy days in my life, it can be tough to sit and read and pray and reflect. And perhaps some of you feel that way too on your busy days. And in a busy week, you know, it might just feel hard to make it to worship on a weekend. But do you know what one of the absolute best perks about being a pastor is? What's really great about being a pastor? It is that I get to come to worship each week, sometimes worshiping two to three times a weekend. And I get to hear the inspiring sermon, not just once, maybe twice, maybe three times. I get to hear the music. I get to feast at the Lord's table. I get to be with a faith community simply because my job demands it. And maybe you wouldn't think that was a perk, but it is. It is. I am grateful that every time I come to work on Sunday morning or on a weekend, I get to slow down a bit and worship. And it helps me in my busyness, in my life, to refocus and root my life once again in God's will. But I also know that at other times, life can feel quite rocky when it comes to our faith. And this may be due to the fact that we have some fear in our lives, some anger, maybe there's been loss, which causes our hearts to be hardened. Maybe we're just not open in that moment. So new life, it can't take root. And we live at the surface and there's no depth. And in times like that, when that happens, maybe our, 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 our soil needs to be cleared of the rocks which keep us from seeing God and God's loving concern, which can help us carry those burdens that we might have. Perhaps when the rocks cover our faith paths, it's important for us to maybe share and speak about those rocks with God, and perhaps with others. And then there are times in our lives where the thorns of guilt or maybe shame or regret choke out the possibilities of something new and life-giving when it comes to our faith. 
Our lives are constricted and strangled by our past and maybe the things we've done in our past. And what happens then when those things kind of are heavy on our minds? This keep us, keeps us from hearing words of hope and love which are spoken to us by God. Those things can keep us from knowing that we are forgiven and free. And they can also keep us from knowing that nothing we do ever, ever, ever will ever separate us from the love of God. But then there's times in our lives when our lives are open and receptive and fertile and flourishing and fruitful. And the seeds within us yield 30, 60, maybe 100-fold. Father Richard Rohr says that considering the condition of the soil in our lives serve as a call for our hearts to be open to God's spirit working in us. And I like that when we have this chance, this parable simply causes to reflect a little bit and think about where we are in life, in our lives. I don't think we need to judge each other or judge ourselves. We just need to be open to the spirit working within us. So, if you're feeling a little unsettled, as if the soil of your life is being turned over, loosened up, it just might be a good thing. This might be the very place God is inviting you to grow, to do a new thing when it comes to your faith. Well, but as I mentioned earlier, this, por- this parable is not just about soil. It's mentioned definitely but it's also about a sower, a planter. And did you notice how generous the sower was when the sower went out to sow? The sower doesn't, goes out and the sower is not obsessing about the condition of the fields when he goes out to sow, nor is the sower stingy with the seed, but instead, almost like he's casting it everywhere, The sower is not cautious or judgmental or maybe even very practical, but seems to be willing to kind of reach into that seed bag and get a large hand of seed and just start throwing it all over the place. The parable is challenging us to shift our view of the sower, to focus on God's abundant love and the refusal of God to give up on us. And in the sower, we encounter God who is relentless and a lavish sower, who year after year, because a sower would go out year after year, casts seeds here, there, and everywhere. And this sowing allows us to see a radical generosity when it comes to God's love and what it can accomplish which can lead us to say that God's sowing is not necessarily efficient, but finally effective. And there is a great harvest in the end. And finally, there is a call in this parable for us to mimic God, the sower, and to be lavish sowers with our lives too. I think this parable challenges us to take risk as we step out and love in service as we follow Jesus. It encourages us to try some things as a church that others may say, hey, that feels a little risky, or do you think the church really should be doing that? I know from having been around some people who like business books, uh, business books often advise people to generate a sufficient, not a sufficient amount of excellent mistakes. 
but it is kind of taking a risk sometime we knew that need to do that. And the willingness to make mistakes, take risks, put energy into things is part of a creative process. The willingness to sow seeds recklessly is really seems to be part of the way our God works in the world. And this may be an important message for the church to hear in a post-COVID world as we follow God's mission. And here's the good news. Jesus promises, maybe even threatens, harvest. Our word, our work, his word, the church's witness, he's saying, are never in vain. The promise of this harvest keeps us going. And yes, there's risk. But by the end, some of the seeds take root and there is a rich harvest. There is, a ri there is risk, but there is grace too because the seed does take hold and it grows and grows and grows. I think we could read this parable as a failure, but we could also read it as one of a success with a wonderful harvest. It really depends on what we're looking for in the parable. So here's my question. Are we optimistic Christians or are we pessimistic Christians? I have a favorite story I heard so long ago while working at Talbot Hall, a chemical dependency treatment center in Columbus, Ohio. And it was told by an Episcopal priest named Father Martin. He tells the story of the difference between an optimistic and a pessimistic child. The pessimistic child is put in a room full of the most wonderful toys and is observed through one of those one-way uh, windows to just sit there and not do anything. And when asked why he won't play with the toys, he says it's because he's afraid he will break one of them. The optimistic child is placed in a room full of horse manure and is observed to be playfully digging through it through the one-way observation window. When he was asked why he did this, he explains that with all this manure, there surely must be a pony in this room someplace. <laughs> and do you know what? I choose to read this parable today in an optimistic fashion because none of us would be here today if the seed of God had not somehow been rooted in our lives in a very deep fashion. If it's our first time in church or our 832nd time in church, God's seed has somehow taken root in our lives and the lives of others. And that is a reason to rejoice because fruit has been born in each of us. God's grace and God's word is an amazing because it accomplishes, as the text from Isaiah says, what it has been set forth to accomplish. This room is filled with fruit, which comes from God's love being thrown around and taking root in us. So, in the kingdom of God, there is some risk and some defeat. It comes with the territory, but there's harvest too. So here's what I think I want us to remember from the story, that God's seed is in us. We're invited to sow that seed. And here's what I hope. I hope we do so 
with wild abandon. Amen.